This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Clue.com. It's Monday Night Madness. Doug Lamarisa and Nathan Baird. We'll get to what you're eating, what you're watching, what you're thinking. At the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about the preseason poll for this first. And Nathan, the AP preseason ballots are due on August 1st, I believe. And then uh, it'll be released on August 14th. So we're getting to that point where you got to be thinking about this kind of stuff, where voters are thinking about this kind of stuff. You voted in the past. I voted in the past. We also have the Big Ten Media Days coming up. Media Days are taking place right now. They already happened for the Big 12. Um, The SEC and the ACC, I think, are this week. And the Pac-12 only has one day of it. Uh, The Big Ten is two days next week. But anyway, it's poll season. It's preseason thinking season. And so we want to talk about first where we think Ohio State will be, should be in the preseason AP poll, because we don't care what the coaches do. And then we'll talk about where we think other teams maybe will be, should be in the preseason poll. But we'll start with the Buckeyes. Nathan, I went back to 2002. So the national championship season with Jim Tressel, his second year. I didn't worry about 2001. That's 21 seasons, the last 21 seasons. And I think there's a thing about whether teams are underrated or overrated, what their general perception is in the preseason. Nathan, would you like to guess, has Ohio State more often finished higher in the final AP poll in the last 21 years, or were they higher in the preseason AP poll in the last 21 years? Which is a decent shorthand way of saying, like, is this a program that gets underrated or overrated? Where do you think Ohio State's been higher? Well, 21 years is a, a really long time, especially because there have been, you know, that, that starts with that first national championship. And I think maybe the esteem has has shifted a little bit. I would still say, though, they've more likely been ranked higher to start the year than what they finish on average. Because I think they get they're one of those programs that's going to get the benefit of the doubt that they'll have great talent every year. If you have to, if you don't know who to vote for beyond the top three and you're looking at a mess of teams, you're like, well, Ohio state's probably great, right? That is correct, but it's not a huge edge. So in those 21 seasons, they were higher in the preseason 11 times. They were higher in the postseason eight times and they were the same twice. So that's, you know, I think Notre yeah. Dame is a team that comes up here a lot that people are like, man, Notre Dame's always in the top 10. And then you look at Notre Dame, but actually now Notre Dame's been pretty good on, you know, what Brian Kelly did at the end there. So anyway, you know, it's not a, it's not a terrible imbalance. There's one thing in particular when I, when I looked at the preseason ratings, and this is something that you know back in the day I would get very wound up about these things. I can't remember what year it was, but I remember once writing like a very very passionate column about why I thought Ohio State deserved 
to be number one in the preseason. And I do think we'll get into this a little bit. Like what, how, how should you vote? How should people evaluate things when you don't have any games to go on? But in both 2011 and 2012, Ohio state was number 18 in the preseason both years. And it's like, Oh, that's a, that's a kind of an interesting thing. That's a quite a coincidence. And then in one year, they went six and seven, and then the other year they went twelve and zero. So in in yeah. August, people evaluated those two teams, the 2011 team that was ripped apart, that had Luke Fickle as an interim coach, that had no Terrell Pryor, that had Devere Posey and Mike Adams and Dan Heron and those guys suspended. They're like, meh, 18th. And then the next year, when Urban Meyer was here. And it was like, well, I don't know. He's a new national champion, two national championship rings, but he's new. Eh, 18th, same thing. So perception is what matters in the preseason. And I do think that, isn't that, I thought it was like a funny, like those are, the whole point of 2012 was that it immediately made up, made up for 2011. And so that's an instance where in 2011, they're 18 in the preseason. They don't finish in the top 25. They're six and six. They go lose the Gator Bowl. They finish six and seven. And in 2012, they're not eligible in the coaches poll, but they're 18 in the preseason. They finished three because they can't go to a bowl and they can't take part in the Big Ten championship game and everything. But they finished three in the final AP poll. I think that tells us a little bit about perception and how voters have to work in August. Yeah, I'm actually the, the first thing that jumps to my mind, though, is like thinking of a an era where Ohio State will ever be ranked as low as 12 to start a season again. I think that's. That is well, that definitely was 18. A, yeah, that was 18th, 18th, 18th those two right. years. 18th, right, right, right. Yeah. So, they, but even, but even like outside out of the top 10. 10, they have not been out of the top 10 since then in the preseason. Right. And just as someone who has voted in this, you do your best to try to evaluate it based on, you know, returning talent based off last year's results um, as a tiebreaker. One thing I usually do is I will go out and go through and sketch out win losses for everybody. And I'm not necessarily ranking them based on win loss, but I like to do that because sometimes you think in a vacuum, well, this team will be, Oh, I see a lot of good parts for this team. But then when you plot it out against who they actually have to play and, and see what record you think that would turn into that, that changes maybe your perception a little bit. Um, but at the same time, there are programs that, you know, like how low will you ever really rate Alabama right now to start a year? How low could you plausibly rate Georgia to start a year right now. Like it's that some teams have a, because of they've done it every single year, have a higher floor. That's they're always going to be starting with each season. So the, since 2012, this is where Ohio state's been ranked in the preseason poll, starting with 2013, second, fifth, first, they were first, they were a unanimous number one in 2015 coming off a national championship as they should have been with practically the whole team back. Sixth, second, fifth, fifth, second, fourth, second. So really up there. I did go back from the last 21 seasons. I think I got this right. The years when they had a returning starter at quarterback and the years when they did not have a returning starter at quarterback. And, you know, sometimes returning starters are a little nebulous. It's sort of like, did they have a quarterback you kind of knew, right? Or had played enough to have a feeling for the 13 seasons when they had a returning starting quarterback, their average preseason rank was third 
The eight years where they didn't have a preseason, didn't have a returning starting quarterback, their average preseason rank was 10th. Now, that's the two 18s are both at that because in 11, Terrell Pryor's gone. He's like Braxton Miller, Joe Bowserman, I don't know. And then 12, it's going to be Braxton. And Braxton did play in 2011 and he did start some games, but I didn't count him as like a locked in sure thing returning starter people still would have been like well we saw some of Braxton Miller last year he looked good in flashes but I don't exactly know maybe right so that lowered it but in general obviously that's part of it so let's have that discussion the idea that Ohio State has not officially declared a starting quarterback will not do so before the preseason ballots are due on August 1st and I think it's not again it's like I don't want to make comparisons to when Ryan Day was like, well, I don't know. Justin Fields going to hoax. This is, you know, this is more, much more of an actual thing than that. How do you think that will and should affect the preseason perception of Ohio State when the 62 AP voters sit down to make their ballots? I think it will somewhat. I think it should somewhat. It's, it's, a, it's a huge uncertainty. But at the same time, in this case, you're going to be talking about, I mean, people could quickly look as long as they want to do a basic amount of research and see that both of these guys were so highly touted, so highly ranked, so highly thought of that. This isn't like Ohio state is trying to pick from among just two, two, two random guys. Like these were guys who were both recruited to be the number one quarterback at Ohio state at some point in their careers. That was the plan all along. So I think that make, that means something that both of these guys were among the best quarterbacks in their respective recruiting classes. So I, I think people also have grown to re- expect a certain level of quarterback play at Ohio State under Ryan Day, the same as they might be giving the benefit of the doubt to a first-year Lincoln-Riley starter who was highly ranked. Uh, you know, the, the, the production is there. They're their Heisman Trophy finalists every year. So I, I don't know that it'll make a, a massive difference. It is, though, it is important to remember that this is different, though, than even the CJ Stroud situation in 2021 where he had more or less separated and and nobody really thought that that was still up in the air going into camp it's it's certainly not the same as Justin Fields but in 2018 Dwayne Haskins had already been you know separated at that point cuz Joe Burrow had left the program by the time preseason camp was starting so this is a a a completely new thing that voters are going to have to try to evaluate but i think as we've talked about too, we were just talking about this on the retalkables the other day, right? Like with Joe Germain, this might be the kind of team where you're not, you don't look at this collection of talent and say, Ohio state has to find the quarterback that lifts all of this to a, a a higher plane than it would otherwise exist on. It's more like they just have to find the quarterback who can operate with these weapons. The last six seasons from 2017 through 2022, 2017, JT Barrett, returning starter, Ohio State second. 2020, Justin Fields, returning starter, Ohio State second. 2022, CJ Stroud, returning starter, Ohio State second. So the three times they've had a returning starter at quarterback in the last six seasons, they've been number two in the preseason AP poll. 2018, Dwayne Haskins, new, fifth. 2019, Justin Fields, new, fifth. 2021, CJ Stroud, new, fourth. So there's a little just a, a it's not a huge gap. It's not three to 10 like in the other one, but I think it, it's a little indicative of something. I do think it matters. And so I want us to kind of evaluate if you and I were sitting down to try to evaluate Ohio State. And then in the next segment, we'll talk about the other teams in the country, which certainly affects it. 
But let's let's make our preseason evaluation of Ohio State without giving away what we think their record's going to be this year and whether we think they're going to go to the college football playoff. Because I will say, Nathan, the way that I voted during the, the season was vastly different than the way that I voted in the preseason. In the sure. preseason, I was not really trying to predict. I would not have said – I would not say that my preseason top four – has to be the four teams that I think are going to make the college football playoff. I think those can be two different things because to me in the preseason, you know, maybe you're trying with your picks to anticipate underdogs, to look at schedule strength and that kind of thing. But in the preseason, I'm really trying to go on deserve who deserves this based on what they've shown and what they have. And so my shorthand always, and it has to be a shorthand because nobody gets paid for this and you can't spend 200 hours of your life on your preseason AP poll was quarterback, offensive line, defensive line. I looked for returning starters and talent at those three spots. And it doesn't mean I didn't care about your receivers or I didn't care about your secondary, but it's like in the trenches and the, and the guy at the, the, at the joy, at the control stick. Right. So for me, Ohio state, quarterback. Okay. It's what you said, but I haven't seen it. So it's not the same as, CJ Stroud or Justin Fields in year two. It's just not offensive line. It's all the tackle stuff that I would, you know, even from the outside, if you don't cover Ohio state, you'd be like, well, I don't know. Like feels like they're going to miss Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones at tackle and Luke Whipler at center. I don't know. It feels like they're going to miss them. And by the way, it doesn't, they're not slotting in ready five stars at the tackle spots, just like they are. And they are at quarterback. So that would matter. And then I would look at the defensive line and be like, oh, Third year JT Tuimaloa, third year Jack Sawyer, third year Mike Hall. Also, Ty Hamilton and Tyleek Williams. And like, there's a lot back there. And I do think the shorthand, is this right? I think it's eight starters back on defense, if you really think about it, and seven on offense. That I would say there's eight starters back on defense because you lost Ronnie Hickman, you lost Tanner McAllister, and you lost Cam Brown. And even though they kind of wanted Jordan Hancock to play last year, or whatever, he's still he he's not a starter. Right. So that's eight starters on defense. So you lost to Ron Vincent, but between Ty Hamilton and Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall and all the guys at defensive tackle, I would say you have starters back at defensive tackle. So it's eight starters back on defense. And then on offense, you have seven starters back because you have your three receivers and your tight end and your running back. So that's five starters. And then you have Donovan Jackson at left guard and Matt Jones at right guard. So that's seven. And then the four you don't have are what we just said, the two tackle spots, center and quarterback. So also a little shorthand after I do quarterback on the two lines, returning starters, 15's pretty good for a team that made the playoff. And again, sometimes you say, hey, they have they have a bunch back. It's like, yeah, well, they weren't any good last year. Are, we sure you, are they sure they want those guys back? Ohio State wants these guys back. And I do think... Yeah. You could say, hey, it's the, the discussions we've been having about the defense. Well, we think the defense will be better. We think that the defense last year, there's a lot of guys back from that. There's reason to think that a lot of those guys might be even better players this year. They're going to be better in Jim Knowles' system. And then you throw in Jordan Hancock and Sonny Styles and some of these guys who might be new starters, Jihad Carter, right? And all of a sudden, you maybe should feel better about the defense. So I would be held back. I would be by the tackles and the quarterback but I would look at the returning starters in the defensive line and feel pretty good. So I would look at Ohio state generally and be like, I think they're just, I think they're going to be pretty good. They're a playoff team that has a, a decent chunk of it back, but 
the quarterbacks and tackles would give me pause. So I would not be thinking about Ohio State for number one, but I also would not be thinking about Ohio State for number 10. That's how I would evaluate them in a vacuum. You said you you look at, you know, you try to maybe go through and do their schedule. When I ask, don't give a schedule prediction. Right. But like just what what's, what's your dis- evaluation? You're Nathan Baird, AP voter in West Lafayette, Indiana. What do you think your evaluation of Ohio State would be? And, and I mentioned that schedule only. That's kind of like my self-check. That's like my check and balance mm. against myself a little bit. That am I like I'm, you look at these teams in a vacuum sometimes and you're like, well, this team looks like it's going to be great. But then when you go plot out its season, you're like, well, actually, it's I think it's actually that team is actually pretty close to like two other teams in this conference is going to play. They're going to end up nine and three. Maybe they're not as high as I thought they should be. So so but it's not a primary thing. I, I think everything you just said about Ohio State is is correct and, and is kind of how I'm looking at them coming into this season. It really comes down to. Again, the floor, I think, is very high on where they should be ranked to start this year, just based on returning talent, based on what this program does every year. Like there's there's not a big drop off. So then now it starts to become the head to head comparison against the other top four other the other top four of the top five teams in the country, maybe maybe even only three other teams right now that I'm thinking that I have to compare Ohio State to because I think just looking on paper, like the next closest team might be somebody like USC or and, and some other teams that are in that mix. And I think there's still a clear separation between Ohio State and those teams coming into the year. Coming into the year is much more of just a power ranking, right? It's just it's it's how you stack up talent wise and production wise and historically uh, you can ma- mix all those things together. It's really just a power ranking. And this is what I think sometimes fans don't understand is that that's really the only way you can do it coming into a year, I think. You can't just vote on last year's results. You have to do some projection. But once they play games, now it's just resume. And and, and maybe it's it, there's still a sliver of power ranking that's in there for the first couple of weeks because the scheduling can be so uneven. Like how you compare Ohio State beat Notre Dame in a close game and the teams that you had ranked ahead of them blew somebody out. Well, how much do you jump Ohio State? All those things are fair debates for those first couple of weeks. But by the time you get to like week three or week four, it should be 100% resume. Who have you beaten and how good were they? All right. So let's talk about where we think. Let's do both where they should be ranked, like where we think we would put them on our own personal ballot. And then let's make a prediction. Let's make a prediction when the AP poll officially comes out where we think they will be. It's a Monday madness, but we'll mark that down. This will be a little mark it down Monday within a Monday madness. If I was putting a ballot together, I would have Ohio State fourth. And I won't say exactly who I have them behind yet. But the fact my preseason top 10 has five teams with return, like good returning quarterbacks, like really good returning quarterbacks, and five teams with new quarterbacks. And it is the story of this offseason. It is the story of how interesting might this season get? Because as we've said, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, and Clemson, actually, right? Cade Klubnick played some last year, but DJ started every game last year, DJ Uyunglele. Those four teams who have been traditional powers all have new quarterbacks. And then you have some other teams, Michigan included, some good, like really good teams, but who have not traditionally in the modern era, in the the playoff era, been at the level of Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, who have returning quarterbacks. So that would factor into it for me. I would have Ohio State fourth. Where would you have Ohio State, Nathan? 
I, I'm still really grappling with where I would have them right now. I think it would either be third or fourth. I'm leaning towards third. I'm leaning towards having them behind a, a specific team and ahead of a specific team. Uh, it's really just it's it's really just a conversation about, and this is where it comes down to power ranking versus deserve based off of last year when you start talking head to head with, with some teams. Um, I think there's going to be a clear, perhaps even unanimous number one to start this year. And I don't think that's a shock to anyone. I mean, two time defending national champion and, and they bring a lot of talent back in Georgia. But then I think there's there's a strong conversation between like three teams. And right now, I think I would slot Ohio State in the middle of those three teams to start the year as like if you're talking about just like power ranking and and a little what, bit not, of you know talk about the poll like however right. people get to it right like right. however you would do your poll yeah okay third okay where do you predict they're going to be do you predict that they will be third if we even are a betting uh betting a chicken finger on where ohio state will be in the ap preseason poll i wouldn't put a, a strong bet because I, I think it could be any one of three numbers probably i would probably bet that they'll be fourth that there may be enough question about the quarterback. There may be enough question about people who are projecting out. If you think Michigan is better and is going to beat them again, then that automatically maybe bumps them down on your list a little bit. I think that probably puts them fourth. And I would I would bet third. So like we're flipped. <laughs> you would rank them third, predict them yeah. four. I would rank them four, predict them third. So we are marking that down. When the poll comes out in mid-August, you can double check and you can see who wins the chicken finger. And when we come back, we'll talk about some other teams and we'll talk about Michigan. Should Ohio State be ranked ahead of Michigan? And then we'll talk about the Cleveland.com preseason poll, which is going to be interesting. Who will be the Big Ten preseason favorite? Because Nathan, you are preparing to send that ballot out and i want to like that's a part of this too this is a perception podcast and the reason it matters is because you get fired up about it so that's what we're talking about it we'll do it more next on buckeye talk all right back on monday madness the way we do this we like to do a local segment we like to do a national segment and then we do a nonsense segment so this is the national segment which is where is everybody else going to fit and so i will say when I predict them third, I think that is Georgia one, Michigan two, yes, Ohio State three. Yes. That's my prediction. The last time Michigan was ranked ahead of Ohio State in a preseason poll was 2012, what we were talking about, when Ohio State was 18th, coming off the crazy, miserable year of 2011. Urban Meyer's new. They're 18th, and Michigan that year Coming off an 11 and 2 season in 2011 and Brady Hoke's first year, Michigan is eighth. So that's a decade where Ohio State's been ranked ahead of Michigan in the preseason poll. So my prediction officially is Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. How are you thinking about the teams around Ohio State in what you're predicting? Yeah, I know that's exactly the top three that I think I'm leaning towards right now as well. And I think the question is I mean, there's two questions. It's it's the head to head for Michigan Ohio State. It's a head to head for Ohio State and Alabama because I think Alabama is probably the clear number four or three right now. The other top four team, um, I can see I guess someone talking themselves into to USC with Caleb Williams, but my top four is is Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, and, and Georgia. 
And it's the, the, the one question I've been having is where does Ohio State split, fit in with those other three besides Georgia? And I think I would put them right in the middle. So you're so when you predict Ohio State third, wait, what did I do? I said I put the, I predicted them third. You predicted them fourth. Your prediction is fourth. Correct. Correct. So you think they'll be behind Georgia, Michigan, Michigan and, and who? Alabama. And Alabama. Okay. I do think, do you want to guess the last time Alabama was not in the top three in the preseason AP poll? Ooh. <laughs> trying to think. I'm trying to do the math on when Nick Saban started just yeah. off the top of my head. It's, it's 2009. It's, a while. it's 2009. Yeah. It's 2009. So they go 12 and 2 in 2008. So here's going backwards, right? So starting in 2022 and going backwards, here's Alabama in the preseason AP poll. 1 1 3 2 1 1 1 3 2 1 2 2 1 5 in 2009, 24 in 2008, which was Nick Saban's second season after they went 7 and 6 in his first season in 2007. So this perception, I do think. That when we talk about, well, Ohio State has a new starting quarterback, but it's two five-stars battling it out. That's not where Bama is. Bama's quarterback situation is nobody knows what's going to happen. And they had to bring in the guy who Notre Dame didn't think was good enough to throw into the mix. So Alabama has Ty Simpson, who is a high recruit. Jalen Milrow, who played last year, was the backup behind Bryce Young last year, played when Bryce Young was hurt. And they bring in Tyler Buckner who's a four-star, who's the guy that started for Notre Dame in the opener last year, but then Notre Dame got Sam Hartman, and Tyler Buckner was like, well, I'm out of here. And they also have two new coordinators, including Tommy Reese, the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, who is now the offensive coordinator for Alabama. And they lost two of the first three picks in the NFL draft in Bryce Young and Will Anderson. So I do think there is more uncertainty around Bama than there has been since 2009. But I, I'm curious how much preseason voters will, will dive into that uncertainty, Nathan, or how much they'll lean on it. Saban, Saban, Bama's Bama. What do you want me to do? Because that, to me, is where Ohio State wins that battle. Because Bama's Bama is more convincing than Ohio State's Ohio State. But I think Ohio State's quarterback situation is significantly more reassuring than the Bama quarterback situation right now. And so... I'm really curious what the perception is there. And I would say Bama would be eighth on my ballot. So I just I just don't, because of that, because of so many changes, because of losing two elite, 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 and listen, they have a lot back on defense, elite guys in Young and Will Anderson, and then losing the coordinators and then not knowing who your quarterback is. I just have them lower. But the Michigan thing, I will say, you said you think it's possible. Let's mark this down. Are you predicting that Georgia is a unanimous preseason number one in the AP poll? Um, well, because you only have to be off by one. I don't know. I think they might be, though. I think they might be. If I was voting, they would not be because Michigan is my preseason number one team. And it's the discussion that Shahan Jahiraja and I have been having on the College Football Survivor Show, which is it's like go through the four playoff teams from last year. Do you think TCU is going to be better? No. Do you think Ohio State is going to be better? Better? I would say no. I would mm. say no. similar, yeah. but like for different reasons, like the defense right. should be better, but the tackle questions and you lose the quarterback, but you have all the skill guys back. There's It's all the interesting sort of different parts of Ohio State pushing right. against each other. Whether You think they'll be better here, but maybe not quite as good there. Uh, is Georgia going to be better? Better? 
better without Todd Monk on the offensive coordinator, better without Stetson Bennett at quarterback. They played a bunch of young guys on defense last year. They have a ton back on defense. But better? I, I'm not at better, right? But Michigan, I think, will be better. I think this will be the best version of the Michigan team we've seen. So I would have Michigan number one on my own ballot. I would have Ohio State number three. Or excuse me, number four on my ballot. My ballot is Michigan one, Florida State two. I love Florida State. They have a ton back, including a veteran quarterback and a great edge guy who would have been a first-round pick. Georgia three, which I have questions about Georgia, but it's the tip of the cap, and then Ohio State four. That would be my ballot. My prediction is Georgia one, Michigan two, Ohio State three, is my prediction of how it will go. Do you think the voters, first of the AP poll, then we'll get to the Cleveland.com poll, do you think the voters will have Michigan ahead of Ohio State or no? I think they will, even though there's a lot of data out there that on paper says Ohio State is still a better roster, whether you're looking at blue chip ratio, whether you're looking at power ratings like what TSU does, what, what other people do. They still say it's a better collection of talent at Ohio State, but the fact that Michigan has beaten them head-to-head last two years and has so much back, I think they will put Michigan ahead of Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, that's that's hard because that's still true. It's like Ohio, Ohio State was higher than Michigan in both those things the last two years. Yeah. Like the, Ohio State still recruits better than Michigan. So that's, that's how that's going to show up. Michigan does have a bunch of transfer guys on the offensive line because they lost some dudes, but they have – they're prob- they have like three pretty big time transfers on the offensive line, probably all of whom are like bigger time transfers than Josh Simmons is for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Probably two of them will start. I don't know that all three will start, but probably two. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards both back in the backfield. A lot of their receivers stayed, including Cornelius Johnson, who had a big game against Ohio State last year. JJ McCarthy back at quarterback. Obviously, they are they are the best team. They are the most established team in the country with a returning quarterback. So when you talk about that Georgia doesn't, Bama doesn't, Ohio State doesn't, Clemson doesn't, well, Michigan does, and Michigan's made the playoff the last two years. So that's a big advantage for them. They still have Sharon Moore. They had like the weird offseason thing with their quarterbacks coach, but it, and they, they, he got fired because he did something with a computer. Yeah. But, you know, the Michigan people are saying like they don't think that's a huge loss for them. They actually think it might be sort of like with Zach Smith and Brian Hartline. It's like, oh, they lost an assistant coach. It's like, they actually might be better. And Sharon Moore is the offensive coordinator there. The offensive line coach, really good. They'll be fine. They kept Jesse Minner, the defensive coordinator. They have a sort of elite guys at all three levels. Well, Johnson at corner could be an All-American candidate. Junior Colson at linebacker is a good, solid linebacker. They have guys up front. So I, I do think there's a lot there. I'll be curious if nationally, if people can go there. But I think when you look at two straight playoff appearances, I think people can. And if you look at Ohio State, Michigan, and say Michigan won head-to-head, they both made the playoff. Michigan has its quarterback back, and Ohio State doesn't. I guess I will predict that I think the AP poll will have Michigan ahead of Ohio State. I guess that will be my official prediction. What? Go ahead. I was just say, say real quick though. The one thing I, I wonder about the national evaluation of Michigan is when they've gotten on that stage, the national stage, each of the last two years, they haven't shown up. And how would I, that affect you, though, how, for you, voter, voter nation? It doesn't really affect how would me that, that affect much. You? It doesn't really affect me that much, but there's 60 some people voting. And I think it will affect some portion of those people that will say, OK, well, they've got Ohio State's number. What does that really mean in terms of their national? I'm just I think there will be some yeah. portion of people who vote that way. But I don't I, I think the fact that you're in the mix every year and you're beating a team, the caliber of Ohio State home and away should matter more than the fact that then when you got in the playoff, 
you had a worse game against a worse team and Ohio State played a better game against a better team. Does that small sample size, how much did that carry on into this year? So that is one thing, because that's national people. A lot of them are ding-dongs. No offense. You were a ding-dong. I was a ding-dong. Yeah, AP I mean, poll we're, voters we're, are ding-dongs. You, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a ding-dong spectrum, Buckeye talk. Like, there's a ding-dong. Like, I'm more of a ding-dong about the Pac-12 or Group of Five than I am about the Big Ten. Right. So, with that in mind, we are going to poll Big Ten writers, as we have for low now more than a decade since the Big Ten abdicated its responsibility. 13th annual. 13th. Lucky 13. Our poll's a teenager. Our Our poll had his bar mitzvah. Very exciting. Did everyone get their invite? Please send presents. Um, congratulations to our poll. Fuck I talk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so this, and people know this, every other conference, every other normal red blooded American conference says, Hey, let's have a vote. And the big 10 says, don't want to hurt any. So we do it. This is all, this is all big 10 people though. So, so I guess this is a discussion I would have. Is it more likely that national people would rank Michigan ahead of Ohio State, or is it more likely that Big Ten people would rank Michigan ahead of Ohio State? And I'm not saying – I mean, I told you what my ballot would be. I think they're both very good. I think they're two of the four best teams in the country. I think the Big Ten has three of the best six teams. Penn State would be sixth on my preseason ballot. I think the the top of the Big Ten is excellent. This is nothing against Ohio State. It's my nod to Michigan. So I'm couching it as Michigan ahead of Ohio State because that's what's unusual. That's what has not happened. This is not where our preseason poll has been. Ohio State's basically the pick every year. Our preseason poll has leaned Ohio State. Ohio State defines the conference. How good you think Ohio State is going to be is truly the question of the conference. And I think that's maybe changing for the first time because before when we polled this for the Big Ten, it's like, well, okay, was Ohio State unanimous in the East? Or did anyone throw like a Wisconsin vote to win the Big Ten or whatever? Because it was a, it was a, an evaluation of Ohio State's, Ohio State's relative strength. And it's not that anymore because you can think Ohio State's going to be excellent and still not vote them to win the Big Ten, which I think before, even like last year would not have been true. Yeah, they beat them one year. I don't know. But CJ Stroud's back. What are you talking about? Last year was still an evaluation of Ohio State. It's not this year. It's evaluation of the two teams in comparison to each other because they both should be very good. So what is more likely to lean Michigan, national or conference polling? I think the conference polling is more likely to have Michigan higher for a couple of reasons. Number one, they are more keenly aware of that head-to-head result over the past two years that Michigan is the two-time defending conference champion. I think there is some deserve that probably bleeds in from that perspective, where if you think two teams are even a toss up, you might lean towards the one that is the two time defending conference champion. And I don't know that I can necessarily um, fault that thinking to some extent. I think there's also some percentage where there's a little bit of fatigue for just voting for the same team every year. And you Mm. are eager for another team to rise to that level. And again, I think that's, we've, talked about this before that's an important thing to remember about this Michigan Ohio State dynamic that it hasn't been Ohio State falling down a tier it has been Michigan stepping up to be on the same tier as Ohio State but I think there probably are voters so 2019 was my first year on the beat the poll was done before I got here that was the last year 
Michigan was the preseason favorite. The last three years, it's been Ohio State, and it hasn't. It's been almost unanimous. I think in one year it was completely unanimous. So that, that not only that they'd win the East, but that they would win the Big Ten. So I think there probably is some portion of voters who are probably eager to be able to say, well, actually, I think they're even if they think they're like I said, almost a toss up. That there's enough compelling reasons to vote for Michigan to start the year. As you said, it'll be the 13th year of a poll. Ohio State was unanimous last year. Unanimous choice to win the Big Ten of 30 plus voters, even in a year when they were not the defending champs. So this is by year, the preseason pick. 2022 Ohio State, 21 Ohio State, 20 Ohio State. As you said, 19 was Michigan. 18 Ohio State, 17. You know what I think might have affected um, 19? There was a guy who kept saying that Ohio State was going to be nine and three, and I think it seeped into the pick. <laughs> and said Justin Fields uh, sucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michigan 2019, Ohio State in 18, Ohio State in 17, Ohio State in 16, Ohio State in 15. In two, in 2014, Ohio State was the pick initially. And then after Braxton Miller got hurt in the preseason, I went back and re-polled people. Because I was like, well, what's the point of having like a preseason poll? And then the team that was number one, yeah lost its starting quarterback. I'm not saying you can't vote for Ohio State, but this is like a huge thing. Let's try to be as accurate as we can with our prediction. So I went back and did it, and people then picked Michigan State. And then, of course, Ohio State won the national championship. So they were right the first time. (laughs) 13, Ohio State, 12, Michigan, 11, Nebraska. First year of the poll, the pick was Nebraska. So that is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Uh, 8 of 12. Eight of 12, that it's Ohio State, two Michigan, one Michigan State, one Nebraska in the first 12 years of the poll. Actually, that's not even, it's not quite as strong as I would have expected. So, well, you know, two thirds of the time, but yeah, they, they didn't get the first two because yeah. the program was exploding. So, yeah. And, and almost nine of 12, really, because of what you said with the Braxton yeah. Miller thing. So, no, I mean, I mean, it's pretty really strong. think about that. Like any, any 12 year period to be picked by the consensus. Of and we don't. It's not like we're pulling a small group. Like we try to get in the thirty some, forty some voters, for them to consistently pick the same team to win the entire conference, not just their division, the entire conference. You know, three out of four times over a twelve year period, I think is is pretty strong. In twenty nineteen, when Michigan like legitimately was the pick in the East that year, we had thirty four voters. To win the East, Michigan got 20 votes and Ohio State got 14. Michigan had 222 points. Ohio State had 214. So that was, I mean, it's not its not like completely a slam dunk, overwhelming kind of thing. And then Michigan had, had 17 people pick Michigan to actually win the conference and 14 picked Ohio State. One pick Northwestern, two pick Nebraska, like a couple other things thrown there. So, so it was close that year, Nathan. And do you think it'll be close this year? Either way, would you imagine? We usually try to get at least thirty. I would say in the end, what the average number of voters we have is between like thirty and thirty-six. Yeah, something like that. Usually, yeah, mid thirties, mid thirties. Because we, I usually try to find at least three for each team that I can invite. Um, Some teams are harder, but. Um, I think it will be relatively close because I think, listen, it's just a seven, six, five, four, three, two, one point system. And so it's not a huge gap between the first and second place vote. Right. So if it's Michigan and Ohio state were one and two on every ballot, that would be 30, whatever, however many points difference. 
but I think it's they're not going to be first and second on every ballot. But I think it won't. I don't think it'll be that close. I don't think it'll be as close as it was in 2019. You think it'll be more convincing for Michigan? Yeah, but not, but but no landslide, and probably not again, like not in that 30. Because I don't know how many teams, I don't know how many voters are going to get to the point where they would put Penn State above either Michigan or Ohio State. I think it, they're going to be one and two on almost every ballot, probably. And this is, you know, you have to make a pick. Shahan and I talked about this on the Big Ten preview that came out last week on the College Football Survivor Show. The idea of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State splitting those games so that everybody's one and one against each other is like absolutely on the table. And then Ohio State has Notre Dame in the non-conference and and Wisconsin has a crossover. Michigan doesn't play anybody. Penn State opens with West Virginia, which is not Notre Dame, but it's better than anybody Michigan plays. So in terms of just the level of, of opponent outside of the East, Ohio State has the tougher schedule. But I do think Something like Michigan beats Ohio State, Ohio State beats Penn State, Penn State beats Michigan, for instance, is possible. And I think it's possible that they all run the table in their other games. And then we're at 11 and 1, 11 and 1, and 11 and 1. And now you're looking at tiebreakers and you're trying to figure out who goes to the Big Ten championship game and who, where is everybody in the playoff rankings and could the Big Ten get to win. I think that there might be people who will predict that, Nathan, but then it's hard. Well, what, what does that mean for your ranking? But I don't think that's right. an insane way to think about the East this year. And uh, one thing that has changed with the voting is back in the day when it used to be you and I doing it by spreadsheet or legal pad or however you used to do it, um, you could submit a tie. So you could do a three-way tie for second if you wanted to or first. Um, but the way we do it now that's automated, it doesn't allow that. So you're going to have to make a decision how you would stack those three teams. And that might also be, again, it goes back to that influence of, do you, is somebody willing to, even if they think those three teams are going to, if we're, we're to end up with those three records, would you put Penn state first on that list? And I think the answer for most voters, if not all is going to be no. Cause Penn state's also going to play a new quarterback. And so it's like, okay, well, if you're going with Michigan, you're going to lean on the new quarterback thing. They've done it. And if you're going to be like, well, no, I really think the quarterback plays like, well, Drew Aller at Penn state and Kyle McCord and Devin Brown at Ohio state, they're all five stars, but like, you're really going to go with Penn state who was really good last year. Only two losses were to Michigan and Ohio state, but James Franklin's one and eight against Ohio state. Like this is with the new quarterback. This is the year would go there. I think Penn state's really good. I think it's going to be hard to pick Penn state to win the East if you're going by deserve at all. But I do think Penn state is an absolute top 10 team for sure. And again, I have them sixth on my overall like preseason AP ballot if I was voting. So, um, but I do think, I think I would agree. I would bet it will be close. I think it might be closer than you're saying, but I bet Michigan will be picked first in the East and will be the projected big 10 champ, Ohio state second and Penn state third. That's perception. When we come back, we're going to talk about eating. We're going to talk about watching. And we're going to talk about thinking. And we'll do all that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back for a little what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking, little nonsense time here on Buckeye Talk. Let's start with what you're watching, Nathan Baird, because I went, I've been hitting some movies. It's like, I, I felt like during the pandemic, people were like, oh, movies might be dead. It feels like there's some really good movies this summer. I saw yep. the Indiana Jones movie. I thought it was good. I'm looking forward to Oppenheimer. I'm looking forward to the Barbie movie. Uh, I saw, I don't know, saw a bunch of other stuff. 
And I saw this movie, my wife and I went and saw it the other night, called uh, Walking and Talking. Now, what's it called? Walking Around for 90 Minutes Doing Nothing, I think might have been the title of it. I can't. It's called uh, Past Lives. Mm -hmm. And I am a person who, I'm a middle-aged man. And I want adult dramas in theaters. I just want like movies about people and, and I, I don't need superhero movies all the time. And I get worried that there's a type of like kind of a middle movie. Like I don't necessarily want indie movies, but I don't want everything to be a superhero, right? Like sort of just like a, a movie. What used to mm -hmm. be like a movie. That's just what I right. want. But I just want like an adult drama that's interesting. And so this was kind of like that. My wife and I, we saw the trailers a million times at other movies. We liked the main actress that's in it. We'd seen her in some things. And we were excited to go to this. And about 30, 35, 40 minutes in, I was like, would it kill you to throw in a car chase? And I was like, oh, my, <laughs> this is unbelievable. It may as well have just been two people going on a walk for 90 minutes. And then at the end, they have a 30-second conversation. and then. That would have been enough. And I was like, maybe I don't want this. So it made me nervous because I think I know what I think I want well, at the movies. And then I felt like I sort of got it. And then I turned out, I no, I did not want that. You want the movies that we watched growing up. And um, for people who aren't familiar with the, the rewatchables podcast over on The Ringer, and they should be because we've uh, incorporated some of their branding into things that we do, such as that. But it, I, I don't agree with a lot of their takes. Um, and I think sometimes they, they uh, glorify some movies that really aren't that great and don't need to be glorified. But one thing that you are struck by, because they do a lot of movies from like the 80s and 90s, because they're about our age, a lot of those people, and that's what they grew up watching and, and, and their favorite films. And there's a lot of movies that they just don't make those movies anymore. Um, now, maybe sometimes those movies more likely get made at Netflix or, or whatever, or maybe there'll be an Amazon original. But like a lot of those things, those like like you're talking about, like those adult dramas just don't get made anymore. And I have long been bemoaning the fact that there's a new superhero movie out like every month that is appearing on five of the eight screens somewhere and it crowds everything else out. And uh, I don't get to go to the movies that much anymore because I'm a, I'm a little boy. And uh, uh, not getting that many days, uh, not that many three-hour periods where I could do that. But it's it's that's why I don't often go to like I'm kind of seeking out the more independent movies. It's funny because this movie that you're talking about is very highly acclaimed. That's probably one of the uh, reasons why you went and saw it. It's, it's the critics are, are are raving about this movie, but it definitely is a it's a little bit slower from from what I've heard. It's just pretentious dweebs walking in a circle for 90 minutes. I can't help it. Like, it's just, here's the thing. I want movies about real people, but I want something to happen to the real people in the movie. Because I feel like sometimes some movie makers are like, I just want to make a movie about real life. And it's like, real life is boring. You want to make a movie about a guy sitting down to do a podcast? What are you talking about? Nathan Baird got up from the microphone, walked to the bedroom and changed his son's diaper. It's like, nobody wants to say, I know it exists as a life. No offense. Douglas Maurice woke up, got out of bed and ate some bacon. I actually would watch that movie. But like most of the time, I don't, something has to happen. There's a thing, there's a book. I don't want to give stuff away. But there was a book that was like really popular like 25 years ago. It was kind of just about a family and normal stuff. And then somebody fell off a cruise ship. And I was like, that. Take a normal 
family. But then there is a precipitating incident, right? And it's like, oh, that's why, even if it's fiction, that's why there's a book or a movie about these people because they're normal, but then something happened. When it, the movie is just like, nothing happens. It's just life. I'm like, I live life. I don't need to see that for 90 minutes. I know what life is. So I keep waiting. It's like, okay, here's a thing. Okay, they're having a conversation. And now she's kidnapped. Nope. Here's a thing. They're having a conversation. And now he's a serial killer. Nope. It's not. They're just people. People stink. I don't want just people. But I don't want somebody in tights and a mask either. Can it be a normal person that something interesting happens to them? Oh, the pacing of this movie. I don't even know. And then people are like, oh, oh, it's so, it the subtlety, subtlety can cram it. <laughs> Buckeye talk. What are we doing? It's so subtle. You don't even notice things happening. It's like, yeah, no, I noticed nothing happening. If you're telling me that there's nine layers under the nothing, there's a something, then go do it somewhere else. Don't do it on a gigantic screen. Nathan, can I be it? Like, I should be entertained. I don't like movies where, like, you're waiting for something, waiting for something. Like, it's like, okay, I get it, normal people, but I'm waiting for the thing to happen. And then you're waiting, and then the credits roll. And you're like, where was the thing? Didn't, like, I thought the, I thought the thing was going to happen. You know what's a good movie? The Martian. Regular people, guy gets left on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, Martian is actually Damon, a really great movie. <laughs> he's an astronaut. What did he do? Went to the astronaut office on Earth. Had a sandwich. <laughs> I don't want to see that movie. But So yeah. I, what, what am I missing? Is it me? And then the critics, the pretentious, dweeby critics are like, oh, I loved how nothing happened. And I'm like, I'm the audience for this, I think. Like what? Uh, like can't you give me? There's a because there's a moment in the movie where it's like, aha, this is going to be the thing, and then you start predicting. I'm leaning to my wife and saying, "This is the thing that's going to be the thing." She's like, "Shut up! You're ruining the movie for other people." <laughs> and then it wasn't the thing because there was no thing. It wasn't that like, oh, I was wrong about the thing was. I was wrong about the fact that there would be a thing at all. So I like, I talk about this a lot we wind up going to like a lot of plays and musicals because my, my kids are involved in theater in high school. So, you know, we'll go to a local thing in Columbus. We've been to New York city. We've been to the local theater productions and the high schools and stuff. And I always say like, there's a difference between good and entertaining and something can be entertaining and not be good. And something can be good and not entertaining. And I want both. So I guess maybe this moving where this movie where nothing happened might be quote, good but i was not entertained and if i'm paying 12 bucks nathan i want to be entertained i don't want it to feel like a master's thesis yeah although i will say i mean there, there's people out there that i've heard that are excited about past lives that also are excited about some of these uh comic book uh adventure movies the the, the superhero movies that are out so i think it's possible to have both and i think it's completely okay to also I mean, unfortunately, this is part of of the experience, really, is you go to a movie and you don't like it. It's sort of like it's sort of like the experience of being a sports fan where, like, there's the danger of losing. And that's what makes the winning 
more enjoyable and more valuable. Yeah, but then don't tell me like somebody lost 38 to 3 and be like, oh, what a great loss. Oh, it was so, I was so intrigued by the human story of the 38. I don't know. Okay. So you are, by the way, you are in because I, you know, we all go through this if you're a parent. When you have a baby, you're not allowed to go. You're not allowed to go. (laughs) I don't know if you know that. You're not allowed to go to the movies. You can go by yourself and leave the other parent at home. But my wife doesn't like to go to movies by herself. So then I would go see a movie every day by myself if I could. But there's a point at which um, I don't. I think my wife, if I said to her, like, hey, I've got this day off and uh, the baby's at daycare, so I'm going to go see a movie. I think she would actually probably be okay with that. But go experiencing movies together has been a big part of our relationship. So yeah, we just haven't, I haven't taken that plunge and we've, we've had a couple instances where parents are in town, grandparents in town, and they will um, give us that freedom to go have a night off. And we'll use that to see a movie. We've done that, I think twice. And we saw a Top Gun Maverick shortly after Bennett was born. And we saw um, a movie called women talking, which if you haven't seen it, sounds like one you might not enjoy. <laughs> well, I thought it was very good last summer um and but those are the two that we've seen in a theater since since he's been born but we're due for one i think we're gonna get one here coming up you know uh one i watched a couple months ago i guess i watched it at home because it's one of those it was released and is was on streaming was uh blackberry it's like how the blackberry was invented like the rise and fall of the blackberry device that was good and then uh we saw you hurt my feelings which was a Julia Louis-Dreyfus movie, which again is just like people talking, but at least like something happens in that movie. Mm-hmm. And that was confusing because You Hurt My Feelings came out. And then also, is it No Hard Feelings? Is the Jennifer Lawrence movie, which we also saw, and that mm. came out. And so that led to, my wife and I definitely had a conversation where I said, should we go see that movie? And my wife said, You Hurt My Feelings. And I was like, what do I do now? And she's like, no, it's the name of the movie. So we've been down that road. So, but at least some of them, like, I'm okay. I want adults to talk. I just want a thing to happen. Okay. Like, I want things to happen on this podcast. It's why I scream at people. But no hard feelings. Precipitating event. Yeah, but no hard feelings is a good example of a movie that not only, not from like our teenage years that they're not making anymore. It's like a movie that five years ago they were making more and now they're not. Like, comedies are really the thing that has kind of gotten pushed aside. And I think that is also part of it. Like you've got to have broad comedies and other kind of comedies in the mix a little bit to have your options. Cause if it's just all dramas and all action, then I think that starts to skew your perspective a little bit. So I hope, I don't know. I don't know how successful that movie has been yet. I haven't seen it, but, and I don't really like follow box office stuff that closely, but I hope that, uh, Hollywood gets back into making comedies. It's been kind of a dangerous thing because I think they're always worried about stuff that doesn't age well and getting canceled. And, and I think that's affected how much comedies are getting made these days. But uh, hopefully they can start folding more of those back in because I think it's a, just having those palate cleansers, having that, that back and forth on what kind of movie you want to go see, I think would help. I thought No Hard Feelings was fine. Uh, I thought the jokes could have been funnier. Like I, I didn't have any problem with the premise, or whatever. It's like I thought that, that, this joke right here could have been uh, a little bit better. So anyway, I don't know. I like movies. I get excited to go to the movies. I like eating popcorn in the dark, and I am excited that it feels like there's a big, healthy range of movies that are back this summer. And there are a lot of things. I will say there is there is one movie that I've been seeing trailers for for like six months that I am as excited for this movie as any movie that has come out. 
probably in five years. And it strays because it's dogs, real dogs with human voices of Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx swearing. <laughs> and dog swearing is that, as it turns out, is boom. That's the Doug zone. Dogs swearing. I can't wait for strays. And the last time we went to a movie, I went to get the popcorn refill. And uh, I came back and my family was like, oh, you missed the strays trailer. And I was like, why do I have to get the popcorn <laughs> refill all the time? So anyway. Well, you were getting a, a popcorn refill during the trailers. Oh, that's how you got to do it. You go in. <laughs> yeah. You get there early. You slam the first popcorn. And then you go for your first refill right as the trailers are getting ready to end. So you're on to number two as the movie's starting, and then that should get you through. Why not bring – why not sneak in popcorn receptacles, split up the first box of popcorn back you new here? popcorn, and then – there are people who have stopped listening to this podcast because my family sneaks in popcorn receptacles. <laughs> they think we are communists. Oh, I they sneak think in we are ruining all sorts of stuff to the yeah. movie. I've snuck in like cheeseburgers. I've snuck in a lot of things to movies. In your pocket? You put a cheeseburger in your pocket? Like in a coat pocket. Like yeah. a fast food cheeseburger that's already yeah. wrapped up. Just some pulled pork, like a like a nice pork eh, that's a, rump that's a little that messy. you, you uh, smoked for 18 hours and then put in your pocket yeah. for, for the Martian. Yeah, so I mean, but like we do, I, the idea that like get it, split it up, and then go get it refilled right away. Yeah, I mean, but you got to, we're busy eating too anyway. I love popcorn. Okay, uh, what have you been watching since you can't watch movies because you right. decided to have a family? Right. Well, one of the reasons why maybe there aren't as many of those compelling dramas on in the movie theater is because they've done a great job making them better and more sophisticated on any number of TV channels. And one of the ones that we are really excited about right now is The Bear. I don't know if you've watched either the first season or the second season of The Bear that has now started. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think it's one of the best things on TV. It is, for those of you who maybe don't have an hour to set aside for dramas, this is one of those rare, like, shorter dramas, like half-hour dramas. I think the episodes are shorter. And they go by actually pretty fast, but they're very compelling. And the first season, um, not to go into the whole premise, but the first season is about this guy comes home and takes over a restaurant. Oh, it's a guy. It's not a bear. No, it's not his, cocaine bear. He kind the of cocaine is bear, bear takes no, over co a restaurant. Cocaine bear, very different. Um, different like source bear, materials. Fozzie bear takes over a restaurant. Boom, I'm in. That I <laughs> would go. watch. And if someone is is voicing him and swearing, <laughs> uh, first season vulgar Muppet bear takes over his family's failing restaurant. That is a million dollar pitch. Yeah, that'll be once. Maybe you can do that in a few years once this is off the air. Waka, I'll give it some waka. space. But um, but I've mentioned before, I think, that um, you know when I used to live in Chicago, I'm in a, a fantasy baseball league. And when we haven't actually drafted in person, but when we used to, the, like the morning or the afternoon of the draft, instead of going on a beer crawl, we'd go on a beef crawl. So you would go around to like three or four different Italian beef places, um, which was definitely a kind of a marathon experience, not a sprint, to, to be sure. And so this this show is about a, a a very accomplished chef comes home to take over the Italian beef joint in Chicago after his brother who owned it dies. And the first season is very like hectic and kind of frenetic. And um, there's a lot of things going on. So I'll say I watched like maybe the first three or four episodes of season one. And I was like, I, I don't know. Should yeah. I hang in. 
I, I think you should. I think you should give it a chance because I think the first season I thought was, again, it's the first season I felt like was very much at like a rapid pace. Um, each episode, it, it's still, it's very funny, but there's also a lot of just stress. It's a very stressful show that first season, which I think is supposed to mimic what is going on in these people's lives that like this guy just died. This restaurant is in trouble. Um, this guy, the, the main character, um, the chef is it's kind of turning his back on this, this fame in that world to come back and do this thing. But how is that going to work? And what does he really want to be? There's a lot of stress in that first season. In the second season, there's actually a thing in the background that should be creating a lot of stress, but they've done a really great job of sort of pulling back and like really going in deep on some of the other minor characters and fleshing those out. There's just been some really compelling episodes of television through and i've only seen the first four episodes of this season i think it's probably like 10 episodes long or something like that and i'm really eager to get back home we're in northern indiana as we're recording this for this week but i'm eager to get back to columbus and and get through the rest of the season because I, I just think it's a really strong uh fun but also like um engaging show big episode in season two miss piggy comes to the restaurant to try it <laughs> will Fozzie be able to pull off a meal that impresses her next on the bear. Waka waka. All right. So that's a food thing. I'll probably go watch the bear. What are you eating? Does it make you want to eat? Have you been eating Italian beef sandwiches like every day now because you're watching the bear? I haven't. You know, we occasionally make Italian beef just in the crock pot, but it's it's a different experience than going to an Italian beef joint. There's a place in Columbus called Loops over like in the Granby area, L-O-U-P-S. That uh, is does it's kind of like a Chicago style sausage and um, roast beef place or uh, Italian beef place we like to go to sometimes. So I recommend that to people who are looking to to get that taste. Um, it was it's interesting that you mentioned the smoking the 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 pulled pork because I just did that actually last week and it was like the best that it had ever turned out. But I've talked about that before, so I'm going to talk about something else I cooked, which was jambalaya, and um, it's just I I I enjoy like having a taste for something. And then I'm not like some amazing cook. I have to go find a recipe and just mimic the recipe like down to the milli ounce or whatever. And, but it's so satisfying to like have a taste for something, go find a good recipe and then execute it and then have everyone who tries it be excited about it. I think it's one of the best things that I've cooked recently. Even my 14 month old son was trying it and liked it. So that's like a new thing that's going to be on a rotation now is a big pot of jambalaya. Nice. So that jambalaya, that's, uh, you got some sausage in there. You got shrimp mm -hmm. in there. Chicken? No, there, no also? shrimp, just sausage and chicken. Okay. Now I'm eating that. Cause that's my always thing with jambalaya. I'm just not a huge seafood guy. And often shrimp is in jambalaya, but then sometimes it's not. So I'll get the jambalaya and like not eat the shrimp. But if you're making only a sausage and chicken jambalaya, ooh, mama. Yeah. That sounds good, man. There's, uh, I, I want to point people to, there's a guy, his YouTube, I think his name is Isaac Toops, T-O-U-P-S. Look for his uh, YouTube tutorials. He does a lot of Cajun cooking. That's the only one that I've done, the only recipe I've done so far. I actually went looking to make gumbo, saw the jambalaya video, and was like, no, I got to make that instead. And it was great. If I was going to be a Cajun chef, I definitely would change my name to John Belaya, because that's what I first thought you said. I was like, John Belaya is John Belaya, <laughs> which is like... John Ham's John Ham, which is on Saturday Night Live. John Belaya. Is that be a good name? Loblaw's Loblog. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned this to the texters when I got back and I was on vacation a couple weeks ago. And I, I have not talked about it on the podcast because I, I don't know. 
care. Uh, I was in Europe and we did a, a family trip that we've been trying to plan for years and years and years and years. And we were saving and saving and saving to go do it. So we went to London and Paris. And the only thing that I did to represent my trip to the world, because nobody cares, was I took a picture of myself eating a Pizza Hut pizza in front of the mm -hmm. Eiffel Tower. So it, I, it outraged some people, but I did not eat Pizza Hut every day in Europe. But that was probably like day nine of the trip or something. And it, it was hot and we had been having a good time, but it was like, oh my, can we just please, I'm dying for a pizza. I just said like, I would crush Pizza Hut right now. So we were leaving. We got in an Uber. We found Pete, there were multiple Pizza Huts in Paris. We went to one, but then it was just a walk-in Pizza Hut. It wasn't a sit down. And it was like, oh. So my younger daughter and I, we got a pizza and we ate a Pizza Hut pizza on the curb on a, like a little street. And then my wife and my older daughter were like, we don't want Pizza Hut. We want Chipotle. So then we put that in and then we got in an Uber and went over a couple, you know, two miles to the other area to go into a strip mall where they had a Chipotle and then they crushed their Chipotle. And it was just a very satisfying thing. And I'm going to expand on this a little bit more into what you're thinking. Here's my view on this. And I was almost loath to bring this up with you because I'm afraid that we view this differently. We do. And we're I'm not sure. going to change each other's minds. It. You haven't even said and, it. I'm sure we do. <laughs> and I'm not particularly excited to like have a debate about who is right or who is wrong. But I will say this. For me, as someone who is not a particularly adventurous eater, I want to – when I go out into the world and I go to the same places a lot, right? But I also do want to go see new things. The food is not a primary part of the experience to me. So like I want to see new things and do new things, but kind of eat what I know while I'm doing that. And if I go to a new college town, I want to go maybe to the local place to try their version of a burger or their version of pizza or whatever. But I was, it is not a primary thing to me of like, oh, did you eat escargot or whatever? Did you have a fine French meal? It's like, no, I didn't. I didn't eat Pizza Hut every day, but that was, for me, that's not primary. So we had fish and chips in London. You know, we did. We ate in some sidewalk cafes in Paris, but I didn't eat particularly Parisian things when I was there. And we actually had some English-speaking waitstaff being like, oh, you Americans. You know, like I ordered a hamburger well done, and they were like, oh, you Americans. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But – also, I just want to like nourish my body so then I can go see new things that I've never seen before. How primary is food to you as an experience when you are somewhere new, when you are out experiencing the world? Is food a primary part of that in your mind? And we're not going to yell at each other or try to convince each other otherwise, but I'm curious how other people view it. No, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a primary part of the experience because I think it is so much it, it tells you so much about the culture of where you are and i think that would be true if you're going to paris or london i think that's true if you're going to albuquerque or butte montana or portland maine too you know within this country places like i've not been to any of those three places but when i went there i would try to find out what was what's the local cuisine like what 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 they're serving and how they cook it tells you a lot about the people there. 
And um, I, so to me, yeah, it, it's pivotal. I, I, I'm trying not to judge you too much for taking two Uber trips to go to fast food places that you could go to in um, <laughs> anywhere in America. Yeah. But I would probably, I would have no problem like taking two Uber trips to go to two local places in those types of places. You know what I mean? Like if, if they were like places like, oh, you've really got to try this thing that they do around here or whatever, or you're, you have to go somewhere and wait a long time to get a table or, or whatever. Like I'm, I'm definitely, I'm much more inclined to, to do those sorts of things. Cause I think that it is, uh, but I, I totally understand the other side of it maybe, especially because I maybe I'm maybe am more interested in food than touristy experiences in some of those places. But if you're more interested in really experiencing other things, then to just quickly do food and move on. Like, for instance, in Las Vegas, Las Vegas is a great food city. And if I'm there, I'll go out for some nice dinners. But a lot of the times I'm in Las Vegas, I'm just trying to get to a table. I'm trying to get to to some some gambling enterprise, a sports book. So it's much more about just like getting something quick and moving on to the next thing for most of my meals out there. Um, but there's other people who would see it differently. There's other people who would want to have like three great meals a day and they don't care if they ever go into a casino at all. So that leads us to what I'm thinking, because this discussion I'm more willing to have, because this is the thing I definitely think on vacation. And it is that idea of, it confuses me sometimes when people say they don't want to be tourists. They don't want to do the touristy stuff. They want to really get a feel for the place. And I'm like, and maybe this doesn't surprise anybody. I would wear a shirt that said, I am a tourist. It's like, I don't live here. I live somewhere else. But I wanted to come here. And now that I am here, show me your best stuff. Show me your most famous stuff. I'm not going to look down my nose at like, oh, I don't want to go to the places where everybody goes. I absolutely want to go to the places that everybody goes. I want to do the most famous things so that if you came to where I live, I would think, well, let's go to the most, let's go see Ohio Stadium. Let's go to the Columbus Zoo. I wouldn't want to take you into some back alley to show you some little local restaurant. I want to be a tourist. I Because I don't want to find out what it's like to live somewhere else. I want to see your best stuff. And when people treat tourism or being a tourist as a negative, I don't know why that is that I, they think it, I think they think you're like a jabroni of like, Oh, you just want to go see the tourist stuff. You mean the most famous, exciting things that like what people around the world know about this place? Yeah. That's what I want to see. And I, and I don't want it the, I want to experience your a plus version of this place. And I don't want to let the, maybe like parts of your everyday life that I don't get or that like don't fit me. I don't eat that way. I don't live that way. I don't want that to sidetrack me from the famous stuff. So I don't, when people say, oh, we went somewhere, but we didn't want to do the touristy stuff. I It dumbfounds me, Nathan, because I want to do the 10 most touristy things. And then I want to leave because I want to live here, but I want to go see the best of where you are. And I, I to me, that doesn't mean like, off the beaten path. I want the beaten path. I want where everybody goes. 
Yeah, but I th- I feel like the full the most complete tourist experience is to go to the Columbus Zoo and Ohio Stadium and then also go to the best local restaurant. That's the full that's the full tourist experience. Doing going to the Columbus Zoo and then going to Pizza Hut is not the full tourist experience. I'm just saying we already said that like the food doesn't matter to me that much. But like the right. people you I'm sure you know people. You just said you and your thing use tourist as like a negative. You say, like it's like, well, I don't want to do the when you go, I'm not really talking about food. I'm talking about stuff to do. Uh-huh. Right? Do, don't you agree that some people view like they don't want to go like they don't want to go to the Eiffel Tower. They want to go to the little neighborhood, right? I don't know. Like what like what do you well, yeah. How do you think the world views tourism? No, I think I think, but I guess I think both can be. I think both have value. I think if I were in Paris, I've never been to Paris. I would want to see the Eiffel Tower. I'm not that cool with heights. I don't know if I'd go up the Eiffel Tower, but I want to be at the Eiffel Tower. I want to say that I I stood at this thing, and I guess you can touch it. I could touch the Eiffel Tower. Um, but I would also want here's a, here's a good I guess, maybe here's a good here's a good analogy, especially maybe since we're talking about Paris. So New Orleans, um, I visited New Orleans a couple times, have been down uh, Bourbon Street once, and that's like enough. It's just like this urine-soaked tourist trap. You don't ever have to go again. It's Negative. It's, it's, Negative. It's, tourist trap. Yes. Like you're trapped yes. there. Correct. Okay. Negative. But. The most famous thing, if you said top five answers on the board, here's the question. Name something in New Orleans. Right. Ding, ding, ding. Bourbon Street. You called it a trap. Correct. And I think that is an apt title for that. But you could also go to Cafe Dumont, which is like a renowned place, like a famous place down there to get your beignets, which I have done and have powdered sugar all over me. And I would say that that is also like very high. If you were to just ask the random person like, hey, did hey, I went to New Orleans. Like, oh, did you go to Cafe Dumont? Like, that's just a place people know. But I would say absolutely you have to go there. Like, that's that's a that's an important part of the experience. I would also then just say – well, um, and Nashville is another good example of this. There's the Broad Street or whatever in Nashville that I think is just is one of the worst places on earth, that, certainly that I've experienced. Um, but there's some other really awesome places in Nashville that are not at the top of the list of like the places people would recommend to go where I, I have gone and had a good time. So I, I think to me, it's it's just I, I don't want the obvious thing, especially if I feel like it's been manufactured for tourists. Yeah, no, that is what I want. <laughs> like you just said, because you just said the place where everybody goes in Nashville, right? That's the strip where you walk and there's 50 places in a row that all have singers in them and but terrible, then there's but shops like, and yeah. restaurants and whatever, right? You don't want to go there. Yeah, the place that's like the same bar on every block and these terrible, like, it's not like if it was a strip of places where like, uh, aspiring country western people are going in there and playing original music that would be amazing it's not it's a it's like a bunch of cover bands singing like nickelback or whatever it's it's awful it's truly awful i don't know why anyone ever goes there see that's exactly this is exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about right like that that everyone that's like i'm too good for the thing that everybody does i'm like no i i want to do the thing that everybody it's does. Not that I'm too i want good but but I want to experience. I want to experience it as someone who doesn't live there. Like I don't want it. I'm not looking for like. Well, this is where the the locals go. It's like I'm not a local. I'm a tourist. 
I want to go where the tourists go. I'm not trying. I'm not looking for a place to live. I'm looking for a place to hit it. Famous stuff. Boom. I'm out. So anyway, it just put it like it. Everybody can do their own thing. I, it bothers me when people act like going to tourist things makes you a jamoke. That's what which you just did. Yeah, so you're yeah. like, oh, the thing where everybody goes, where all the idiots go. It's like, yeah, you mean the super famous thing that like thousands of people are in a block? Like, yeah, like that thing that if you go there, it's like, well, that's stupid to go there. I, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's fun. Isn't it fun and exciting? And there's, I like being in crowds. It's like, hey, there's a bunch of people here. Like, hey, what's going on here? That's my point. I think that's the that's the important distinction, though, because I have gone to the touristy things and had fun and enjoyed them, like I was just talking about in New Orleans. But um, I'm it's it's the places that I feel are manufactured and that I'm being funneled to. That's where my resistance is, because I often yeah. don't find those things fun. Yeah. Uh, all right. What are you thinking about? So I think it's an interesting follow up to this. We've been talking about a, a food and, and some other capacities. And I think based on that conversation that we just had, if you were a first time listener to Buckeye Talk, you would assume that maybe Doug was the more easygoing one, like to go with the flow. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'll just go to the things. If you're a first time listener, if you're a first time yeah. listener, and then maybe I'm the one that's like a little bit more like uh, have a stick up my butt or whatever and um, want things my way in particular. So the other night, um, but, 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 I, I, I had this on my mind, like what what this experience that I'm about to describe, how you would handle it, what it says about you as a person at the end of the day, because uh, I really I've had this in my mind. So um, my third anniversary is coming up next week. My wife and I, as we're up here and we had in-laws to, to babysit the, the kid, we went out for dinner as like part of our anniversary and went to a, a local place here that w- was highly recommended. And we had a reservation. We go in and we sit down. And they set us right next to this room that was like the party room. And there was clearly a gathering going on in there. And um, we ordered our food. Uh, we ordered an appetizer. The appetizer came out fine. Um, put in our orders. But right away, we hit a wall where like the thing that I ordered, the server was like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of that. Everybody at the party ordered that and we're out of it. So I had to order something else, which actually turned out to be kind of fine. And then uh, they brought, they, she came out, then the food was taking a long time to come out. The entrees were taking a long time to come out. And she came out multiple times to say, sorry, everything is backed up because of this party. Again, we're sitting right next to the party room. We can watch this party happening that is having the dining experience that we are not allowed to have because they are having it. And, and then right before our food was supposed to come out, according to her, she came out and said to my wife, oh, I'm sorry, like we're, we ran out of mashed potatoes because of the party. <laughs> which can, can we substitute another so she was having like salmon and they gave her fries to go along with that which kind of my wife's favorite food in the world is mashed potatoes actually so it really diminished but she didn't say anything to me it turns out that then they brought my entree out i also was supposed to get mashed potatoes there were no side on my plate i didn't have mashed potatoes or anything else so when she came back out we had to mention that she then brought me these fries that just came out of a freezer or whatever it was just a long series of things where it be, it was very obvious not really the fault of the server, but that we were kind of an, an afterthought for the whole night. And this wasn't like fine dining, but it was an expensive enough place. So at the end of the night, my wife and I are having this discussion. It's like, well, should we say something? Like who says something to someone in that situation as like, hey, this was an ins- uh, an, an unsatisfactory experience almost. And like, can we have something for that trouble? 
And I was very much more like, well, I don't think we're ever coming back here. I'm ready to move on. It's not really the server's fault. We'll tip her. We'll leave. And my wife, who is actually not a, not like you, (laughs) she's not a super intense person uh, by any means, but has been in the service industry before. She's been a server before at Chili's. Uh, What? I'm finding this out now? Oh, yeah. Her whole family is is very uh, Chili's people. Her family and friends. We her her uh, sister was a manager at a Chili's and what? used to give us Let's have her on the podcast. What are we doing? <laughs> used to give us the uh, used to slip us the like the the coupons that they the things that you would give to people for like hey we screwed something up here's, yeah here's a five dollar yeah. coupon or whatever we used to have some of those um, I think we've maybe run through them but anyway she went up to go to the bathroom and I'm like on her way back she saw someone who looked like a manager so she went over and started talking to them and I'm like long story short they apologized and like gave us a $25 gift certificate so I was just curious like what it says about people who are who are very quick to engage for like any complaint I think we know what those people are and those people I don't think anybody is uh very impressed with and then there's people like like what I was being that night were like there were clearly some like egregious infractions here where they should have almost like volunteered to give us something. And I was still ready to just leave and just say whatever. And then there's the people in the middle, I guess more like my wife who were pushed to the point where she felt like she had to say something and, and who you are in those three places. What does that say about how you approach other things in life or does it, or is it just specific to the dining experience? Yeah, no, I would have said something. Uh, so there's a way I think to do that without blaming the server, because I do think in this world, I think, I I think the pandemic has helped us realize that, right. That listen, man, like this is the bottom person on the rung. They're not, it's not there. Now, sometimes it is the server's fault. If the server doesn't write down my order and then brings me the wrong food, like gets my order wrong, then watch out. But in this situation, to me, it's one of those things where like the restaurant is clearly making a bunch of money off the party. And you are suffering as a result. So there's no way I'm paying for my whole meal. It's like you, you're you admitting yeah. that you are – my meal is being harmed both in timeliness and what I can get by all the money you're making over here. So I'm not paying full price for this. Like, And it's not a question. It's not like, hey, it's like I'm not paying full price for this. How much of a discount are you giving me for mm. not having the sides I want, not having the food I want? having it be delayed because you have this gigantic thing. If you can't handle the gigantic party, don't book it. There's no way you shouldn't be making your other people suffer. And so I think you absolutely, again, you can't scream at the server, but if this is a monetary transaction, this is just one of those things, right? This is why scream at us. Podcast is free. (laughs) So that in fact, just do it, but like scream at us. If you're paying for something and you're not satisfied with what you're getting, how, how is the how are the people who are providing the service ever going to know if you don't complain? They're going to think right. it's okay, right? So I think on your behalf, you have to do it for yourself, but you're doing it for everybody else. So they have to know, hey, man, we got eight complaints tonight because right. this 40-person party threw off the whole kitchen. Maybe we shouldn't have parties that big, or maybe we have to take fewer reservations when we do have a party that big. We have to learn from this. And I think staying silent, not calling people on their stuff, particularly when there is a financial transaction involved, I think is bad for society. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a screaming maniac, and particularly to the frontline person, but to the organization as a whole, they have to know they screwed up and that it's unacceptable. And you just being like, well, we're not coming back. I, if, if it's that, then I, even if you're not getting free stuff or getting a coupon or whatever, 
on the way out, you would say, I would say, I'm never coming back here. This service was terrible. You guys blew it. If you yeah. keep doing this, you're going to be out of business because this was a miserable experience that we paid a lot of money for. It, so, yeah. And my wife, having been in, in service before too, um, knows what it's like when the, there are the people who will complain about everything and almost like go into the night looking for something that they can complain about to get a discount. And yeah. I think sometimes I worry about being lumped in with those people, but I think you're right. And I think ultimately too, we were talking about later, like I thought it should be, it had been a lesson learned for them to, to like, you know, uh, anticipate what is happening. If you have to go out twice and say, Hey, sorry, things are really backed up. Then that's when you should volunteer something. You should be like, we're going to yes. comp that appetizer you had. We're going to comp, um, you're, well, you're going to have a complimentary dessert on us tonight. Something like that. Like get out in front of the problem rather than having people spend part of their night. And maybe they're just out for dinner or maybe it's their anniversary dinner. You don't know. Like having part of their night, like having to have this debate about how much do we want to complain. Yeah. No, I very much believe that calling out unsatisfactory things is a service to society. Buckeye's all we know. <laughs> so, like that is, I, I really do like. Like, it's not just about like I'm mad. It's like this is not an acceptable way to do business, and so you need to know that person who is making money off this situation, particularly in that relationship. You're getting money. I'm giving money, and you've made multiple. I don't even know if mistakes is the right word. Multiple things have happened. That's certainly not my fault. That have made it unsatisfactory. Like I think silence hurts. Silence isn't only like a, a zero there. It's like a negative for society. That it's like you've got to, because they're never going to get better. But also, I mean, we knew people, my wife and I, we talk about this a lot. So I'm a jerk. But there are certain yeah. things that you are willing to be and certain things that you are not willing to be. And one time when we lived in Delaware, we helped a friend of ours move. We helped he and his wife, and they had a young child. And then my wife and I went and we helped them move. And they got, for like four adults who were moving heavy things all day, they got one Little Caesars pizza for dinner to feed us. Like everybody gets two slices. And we weren't looking for money, right? We're doing it as a favor to them. But it's like, hey, we'll get pizza, right? As you spend your day helping us move. They got one pizza for four adults. It happened 25 years ago. <laughs> and my <laughs> wife and I talk about it. And we yeah, are like, yeah, yeah. never be that person. Yeah. It's like, oh, do you think we need to get two? I don't want to spend the extra six bucks. Do you think we get the second pizza? So like when we host, it's like, we'll have, we'll host like a party for my daughter's marching band, or we'll have like the cast party after a theater show. Then it's like, hey, kids are coming over. We're going to get some pizzas. Never run out of pizza. Never yep. be the, never like always overextend. So like you don't want to be that person. So in your life, it's not worth the money you're saving to be the person that people remember as like, remember the person who got one large pizza for four adults. So also like, I think you have to like, so that I didn't, I, in that moment, I didn't say to the person, what one pizza you want to open up the pocketbook? Like I didn't do that, but it's like, this is a similar thing to me of like, that restaurant is failing in its role there because it's a corporation and not just an individual person. 
maybe you don't say it about the pizza, but you do say it about the restaurant. But like, you don't want to be that restaurant. You don't want to be that person. As much as I'm a jerk, I do try to avoid those situations. You don't want to be the person through your actions that people are telling stories behind your back forever about like, hey, remember right. the time when that person was a a ridiculous person in society? <laughs> as You might not think that I think about that. Like, I don't care if I'm mad about something. No, I don't no, care no. if you think that I'm jerk because I'm mad. But like those little interactions, I try to be very aware of that because we're telling a story about this person. I'm on a podcast telling a story about this person 25 years later because they won't buy a second pizza. Anyway. I think, I think there's a difference between being a jerk and being acting jerky about something. There's The person who is just like, well, this is what I've done, and if you don't like it, tough – which is kind of what you're talking about there. They weren't being that aggressive about it. They were just being um, inconsiderate, maybe. Um, that's the jerk. The person who then is wronged, then there's a spectrum of how much of a jerk you are about how, what yeah. you're going to say about it. You just happen to be high on that spectrum, perhaps high. perhaps to a degree that they would name that into the spectrum for you. Yeah, yeah. The little Dougie zone. Yeah, uh, this guy. This guy, table six, is in the little Dougie zone. Watch out. That story is especially egregious because it's Little Caesars, by the way. I it's, know. It's not it's even like, like they got one good pizza. <laughs> right. They got... It's like, hey, we only got one pizza, but it's like it's a it's it's a deep dish. It took them an hour to cook it. It was $35. It's loaded with stuff. No, it's just like it's a pepperoni Little Caesars. We could have gotten two of them for half the price, probably. They probably had some kind of special yeah. that we didn't even ask about. So don't don't be that. Life lessons on Buckeye Talk. All right, that'll do it. We do it here on Monday Madness. We like dropping in a little nonsense here and there. Uh, we have some more stuff coming. Phil Steele should be popping up this week to talk about his preseason predictions. We're getting to that zone. And again, Big Ten Media Days are right around the corner. They are not this Wednesday, but they are the following Wednesday. So we're like a week and a half away from Indianapolis and the official kickoff of the Big Ten football season for now. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.